that you would come here each Sunday wanting to learn how to honor your king more and better. Uh, you know, when someone goes to school, especially if they're going to a university or to a trade school or something like that, uh, you know, they'll come with their textbook and their notebook and they'll take notes. Or if you're getting training at work for your job, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll make sure and, okay, how do I do that again? Okay, okay, what's the process? Okay, I got that. I want to make sure and do it right. Um, and uh, you, you listen in such a way where like, you plan to do what you just learned. I trust that uh, you would treat these times together as a family of God where, in, in the same way where you listen and, you're, and, you're, and you're, you're planning to actually do what is said, and that you're actually learning how to live, and that you immediately begin to implement these principles into your life. Well, if you would join me, please, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at just the last two verses. We'll take into account the context, of course, as we go along. But we're going to focus in on verse 19 and 20. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. It says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples... Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The title of this sermon is God's Method of Growth. God's method of growth. We're looking at this because we are uh, in the middle of a, our series that we do uh, relatively frequently every year, every other year or so. At the beginning of the year, we want to remind ourselves, what are we? What, what is the church? What are we doing? Why do we do what we do? Um, and uh, we're pulling from, you could call it our vision statement or our our guardrails, our, our DNA statement, however you want to call it. These are in the back, on the back table. This is our church. This is our church. And uh, in it, you will find uh, these seven marks of a Christ-exalting church. And this morning, we are looking at discipleship culture and leadership development. Discipleship culture and leadership development. And we're going to learn from God's Word how, do, how we actually implement that principle, that mark of a Christ-exalting church. Uh, my desire this morning, dear saint, is that you would uh, be a part of the process of growth. That you would be a part of the process of growth, both in your own individual Christian life and in the lives of those around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ. That you would be engaged, a part of the process of growth in the church. You know, there was a, a study that was done years ago um, that surveyed uh, Harvard College graduates. You might have, I, I mentioned this before. There was a survey of Harvard College graduates regarding their life and career goals as they were graduating from the prestigious College of Harvard. And at the time of their graduation, the students were asked, as part of the survey, they were asked if they had detailed and concrete written down plans uh, for, their, for the rest of their career. Like, what's my career goal and how am I going to get there? What are the steps? And, um, you know, even in that prestigious school of Harvard, only 6% of the students, uh, the graduating students, had a plan. A real concrete plan. And the purpose of this study, the survey, was to see, compared to the rest of their class, how did that 6% fare as their life and career progressed on. So the, the students come back for their 20-year reunion, and that 6% of, of students that had a concrete, written-out goal and process of how to get there that 6% had gained more wealth 
than the rest of their graduating class put together. So you see, church, uh, we're not trying to gain wealth, but it shows the importance of having a plan. Uh, we need a plan as a church, as a local body, Redeemer Bible Church. We need a plan. We need a plan, a plan and a path if we are really going to, to do church God's way, the, the title of this series. And what's wonderful is that Christ gives us that plan, that path, that process in this very passage in verses 19 to 20. Now, when Jesus comes here to his disciples, to his followers, here in Matthew 28, this is after he has died uh, for their sins on the cross, has been buried and raised from the dead in glory. And he now appears to his disciples as the resurrected and risen and exalted Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when he comes to them, he comes to them with this authority. He says uh, in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he comes to them with this authority and he commissions his disciples and says, I have all authority over heaven and earth. That includes you. You're my disciples. And uh, so I command you. I commission you. Uh, I, I am setting you on a mission. And here are your marching orders. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's the reason why the mission statement of this church is we exist to exalt Christ by making disciples in this neighborhood, in this city, and this world. Because that's our mission. We are here. The church exists to make disciples. And these disciples, when, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, they knew exactly what he meant. They knew exactly what he meant. Jesus Christ had, for his whole life and ministry, he had already modeled disciple-making. And they were part of that. So, uh, that process is something that they were already familiar with, but Jesus, in this commission, in this statement, gives them the outline, give, gives them the stepping stones for making disciples. And those three are evangelize, establish, and equip. Those are our three points this morning, evangelize, establish, and equip. Now, we have another slide, if we could have that put up, please, that next one with all the circles. There we go. So I want to keep this up for the rest of our time together, all right? Uh, this is uh, part of our discipleship curriculum in our discipleship ministry. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, this, is, this is the process of every single individual in this church. Especially if you are a member, you are somewhere here in this process. And I would encourage you to evaluate yourself. Where are you along in the process? And how can I progress in my spiritual growth? Now, uh, the, the words go here in our passage. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples is the main command. And then there are three participles. There are three words that, that color, that kind of fill in uh, the outline on, you know, imagine uh, make disciples as the drawing, the outline of a drawing in a coloring book. And uh, one color that you, that you shade in is going. Another color that you use to shade in that outline is uh, baptizing. And another shade that you use to color in that drawing is teaching them. So going, uh, baptizing, and teaching. To make it in a well-packaged kind of presentation, we have uh, evangelize, go. We have establish, baptize. And then we have uh, equip or teach. 
So you see, we're just following the model of Christ. We're following the command of Christ here. So let's, let's pick these apart, each step, and, and we'll, we'll see uh, what Christ means in each of these steps, and we'll, we'll see what that means for you, all right? First of all, evangelize. Evangelize. So evangelize, as I mentioned already, is uh, found in the word go, therefore, and make disciples. The going is the evangelizing. And so what he's saying is part of evangelism, essential to evangelism, and essential to fulfilling the Great Commission, is that we go into this lost world with the good news, with the gospel. And it's the good news that sinners can be made right with God and don't have to face condemnation for their sins. That's the good news. That you, though you are a sinner and deserve the wrath of God, you can be made right with God through Christ and you do not have to face the condemnation that you deserve for your sins. You can find forgiveness and grace in Christ. Jesus has borne the burden, the, the guilt of your sins there on the cross. We go with that good news. Christ commissions us as his church. He commissions his disciples and he commissions you and I. Each of us individually and all of us collectively. We are commissioned by Christ as the church of Christ. This is our vision. This is our primary mission as the church. You see, making disciples is the business that we are to be preoccupied until Christ returns. This is what we're about. We are to go to the nations with the truth. And this is what Jesus did, by the way. I mentioned that uh, by this time, uh, the disciples, when Jesus says, make disciples, they know what that means because they've seen it. So we're going to look at how, how, how did they see that in the life of Christ? How did they know that when he says, go and make disciples, that he means evangelize, preach the gospel? Well, Matthew 3 tells us that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the forerunner of Christ preached the gospel, preached repentance, and then Matthew 4, 23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So we see in Matthew 4, 23, that Jesus was, was going, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Matthew 9, 35 to 38, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness and seeing the crowds. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. What are the workers to do? Exactly what he just did. Teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew 24, 14, it says, Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what's the mark of the church? What is the mission that the gospel of the kingdom of Christ is proclaimed in the whole world? This is our mission. Preach the gospel. And that involves me and that involves you, brothers and sisters. We all must proclaim the gospel. You can proclaim, you can announce the good news across the table at Starbucks or the dinner table at your home, or just at the park with a perfect stranger, or wherever, whatever setting you find yourself in. You proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, one author wrote, John Calvin, 
he wrote regarding this gospel that we, we proclaim. The only haven of safety is the mercy of God as manifested in Christ, in whom every part of our salvation is complete. As all mankind are in the sight of God, lost sinners, we hold, we, we believe that Christ is their only righteousness, since by his obedience he has wiped off our transgression. In his sacrifice he has appeased the divine anger of God. By his blood he has washed away our stains of sin. By his cross he has borne our curse for our sins. And by his death he has made satisfaction for us. He says we maintain that in this way man is reconciled in Christ to God the Father by no merit of his own, by no value of works, but by gracious mercy. That's the gospel that we preach. That Christ in his obedience, his sacrifice, his blood, his cross, and his death has conquered sin for you. And in Christ, your transgressions are wiped away. Your, the guilt of your sin has been satisfied. Uh, the, the stain of your sin has been cleansed. The curse of your, uh, of your sin has been borne. And the death of your sin, the, the payment of your sin has been paid off in Christ. You no longer have to bear those. If you would repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and turn to Christ in faith, and, and throw your whole soul, throw your eternity, throw your, your confidence upon Him. Trust Him with everything holding nothing back. We must proclaim the gospel. And we must proclaim it, he says, to the nations. We are to go to the nations. So, so parents, to do this with your children only, to evangelize your children only, is insufficient. It's critical and it's essential. But to do that alone is insufficient. Because he does not call you simply to evangelize your children. He says, what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So you go out of your comfort zone, Christian. Stretch past what you think you can do and just do what you ought to do in obedience and faith. We are to go into all the nations and make disciples of Christ. And we as a church are to support those who are among the nations. And that will be another mark of the local church when we get to missions and evangelism. But we must proclaim this gospel. And it's simply an announcement. The gospel, again, is the announcement that God, the sovereign king, has made terms of peace with his enemies. We are announcing that you can be reconciled to God and that your sins can be forgiven, but only on God's terms. The only thing that God requires from you is that you repent and you trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the gospel. Just turn. Just turn away from self and towards God. It's one motion. And this evangelism, church, this is going to involve both that uh, what's called organic uh, interaction with the lost and the intentional interaction. So organic is just the people in your home or in your workplace or in your classroom or whoever, whoever you just run into on a normal basis people that you already kind of have some sort of relationship with, your neighbor, whoever it might be. Those organic relationships that you already have, God has entrusted those to you to um, share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to those people that are lost. And then there are the intentional uh, interactions. That's, that's where our evangelism team 
And if you want more information, uh, uh, talk to me or talk to, uh, you can talk to Brother Kelvin. We have an evangelism team that goes out and intentionally just puts ourselves out there and uh, reaches the lost, people that we would otherwise never meet or, or know. And we'll get into more of the details, like I said, of that in the weeks to come. But uh, to come back to our passage, making disciples involves going, and making disciples also involves baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So number two this morning, our second point is, is, is to establish. So evangelize, then establish. So what this is saying, what Jesus is saying, when, is that when, when evangelism is happening in the local church, the expectation is people are getting saved. Amen. Right? And that's our hope. That's our confidence. Christ will save people if we are faithful. We don't know who. We don't know how many. But if we're faithful, we can be confident that Christ will use us to save the lost. And when that happens, when Christ saves people, we, the local church, must be ready to invest our time and effort into those people. That's what God expects of us as a church. That's you individually, not just me. You too. He expects you to be ready. If you go out and evangelize with somebody, he expects you to then establish a relationship with them and then help that person just learn the ABCs of the Christian life. That's all part of the package. The, the goal is to bring them into a commitment to the local body. And when that happens, we will be there ready to invest our time and our efforts into those young or, or new believers. And the first step in establishing a new believer is to call them to the waters of baptism. That's step one. One of the most critical and crucial and elemental Acts of obedience for the Christian is that you get baptized. That's step one. Now, of course, you know, if we schedule a baptism for April, which is our next baptism, is, is uh, in April. Uh, you know, you're gonna, if, if you just got saved and you have to wait till April to get baptized, you're going to obey the Lord, you're going to follow the Lord. But, but that is most elemental. That is most fundamental is to uh, be baptized. And what does that mean? It, when you are baptized, what is being done is you are making a public declaration that I am no longer me. I, I, I am in Christ. I am a Christian. My life, I have changed. Or rather, God has changed me. And I'm not the person that you know, that you used to know. There's been a miracle. There's been a work. And Christ expects and commands, demands his, his followers to be baptized, to own him publicly. You know, it, there are many other places in this world today where to get baptized is either a death sentence or you are signing up for just being disowned even by those closest to you. So in, in America today, we don't feel the weight of baptism. We don't feel the, the umph of it. But plenty of places all around the globe today, that command to be baptized, there, that's a, there's a cost that's connected to that. And so we need to to import that mindset into our understanding. That's why when people get baptized in this church, we exhort them, invite your coworkers, invite your friends, invite your family. They have to see this. That's the whole point of this. Is so that those who knew you can hear what happened. This is, more, this is just as important as you would invite people that you know to your wedding. It's just as important. It's that uh, uh, groundbreaking in someone's life. 
Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father is in heaven. So for that one who you know, just doesn't want to get baptized because they're shy or because they're just not up to it, they haven't worked up the nerve, uh, Jesus exhorts you, dear saint, uh, you need to just confess me before men. Because if you're not willing to confess me before men, then I will not confess you. I will not own you before my Father who is in heaven. That is, if you don't, if you don't own me in this world, then I don't own you. You're not mine. You're not a child of God. So, uh, young believer, if you haven't been baptized, sign up to be baptized. We have one coming up in April. And uh, if you're scared, it's okay. Just obey. Just obey the Lord. Have faith. Uh, Acts 2. Acts 2, 38. Um, Peter said, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there in Acts 2, what Peter is saying is repent, and then once you are a Christian, then you uh, are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on account of the fact that you have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. You don't get baptized in order for your sins to be forgiven. You are baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. That's the idea there. Now, when we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, it's an act of obedience and public uh, declaration and ownership, confession, that uh, I am a, a believer and a follower of Christ. But on the spiritual aspect, there, there's a whole other side to this, where when, we are, when one is baptized, um, there's a spiritual element to this. The physical waters of baptism are kind of a drawing or a picture of spiritual baptism. And spiritual baptism happens when, you're, when you get saved, when you become a Christian. And spiritual baptism is when your identity is lost, as it were, in God. That's the Greek word. Baptizo is to sink and to be enveloped. It was spoken of for ships that, were, uh, that, were, that would sink into the bottom of the sea and it was enveloped by the ocean. It was just part of the ocean now. And it was just, you know, the sharks and the fishes home, just as the rest of the ocean. And so it is with the soul of the believer. You are enveloped by the triune God. You are consumed by the Lord. That's spiritual baptism. And often that consuming work is most felt in the, believers, in the new believer's heart, and then his head, and then his hands. But if a young believer is firmly rooted in the word of God, he is going to grow from one stage to the next. He'll, become, he'll be at first consumed in his heart and his affections for Christ, but then that needs to, to grow into his mind is consumed as well, and he learns and just is starving for truth. And then that's going to also uh, affect how he, how he lives. And, he, and his life will begin to be more and more consumed by Christ. And all along that process... And there's interweaving of that, of course. All along that process, we as a church, we as fellow believers, are called to come alongside those new believers and help that process, to promote that. That, that, that young believer is more and more consumed by Christ, more and more identified with, by Christ, more and more uh, Christ-like in their thoughts and words and actions. Uh, this principle comes forth in passages like Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, where it says, Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, 
So when you were saved and enveloped by Christ, you were, you were baptized and enveloped by his death. That is the old you died spiritually in Christ. It goes on, therefore we were buried with him. See the, the identification, the connection between you and Christ? You died with him, you were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the, through the glory of the Father, so we too are right there with him. We too might walk in newness of life. So our identification is wrapped up in Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection. The believer, when he comes to Christ, his old self dies with Christ on the cross, is buried with Christ in the grave, and there's a new man, a new woman that is raised to life at the point of salvation. And this is what Christ calls us to promote. It's not just to uh, perform the act of water baptism, but to promote the, disciple, the, the new believers to become enveloped and consumed by God, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, how is this done? One ministry in our church that is so crucial, where this is most, most uh, directly and, and intentionally done, is our ministry called Discipleship Ministry. And I would argue that discipleship ministry is really the lifeblood of this church. It is a major source of the church's health. Why? Well, discipleship ministry is a committed and intentional mentorship. Uh, where you spend time together, the mentor and the disciple, right? The discipler and the disciple. There's time spent together outside of the regular church events and Bible studies. The disciple, the one learning, uh, sees how the discipler makes decisions. And resist temptation, along with hundreds of other day-to-day circumstances. Just walking with Christ. I would liken discipleship, I've said this before, you know, the Christian life is really uh, you walking with the Lord, isn't it? That's your life. It's you walking with Christ. And, uh, you know, a, a young believer doesn't really know how to do that, right? They're walking with Christ, but, but, but uh, how do you do that? How do you walk with Christ? What does that look like? How do I pray? How do I read the Bible? What do I read? How do I get something out of it? Uh, how, how do I worship? How do I, you know, learn and, and everything in between? How do I make decisions? How do I fight temptation? How do I obey the Lord? That's all walking with Christ. And so discipleship is, you know, I, I have a relatively strong, healthy walk with Christ. I'm walking with him and I'm, I'm growing, praise the Lord, and whatever stage that might be. But then there's this new believer or maybe a believer that just needs help in their walk with the Lord. And I'm holding the hand of Christ and I'm walking and I'm going to hold this person's hand. And you know, we're just going to walk together. Okay? And um, the goal is we're walking, and, we're, and I'm showing them, this is how you step, this is the left foot, this is right foot, right? This is the path. And then eventually, you know, you get to the point where you join, as it were, the hand of Christ and the hand of that disciple, and you marry those two hands, and you say, okay, you can, I think you can walk with the Lord, and you just keep doing what you've been doing, and you'll, you'll grow. You'll grow, you'll be just fine. That's discipleship. And we all need that at some point, right? We all enter different phases or seasons in our life where I just need help right now, you know. I need help walking with the Lord. I've been walking with him for 20 years and there's this life event that just happened and I'm just struggling, I need help, you know. And so you get somebody that you can learn from, whether they're older or younger, doesn't matter. It's, it's godliness, 
right? That's, that's, the, that's the marker. Somebody that is godly and that you can learn how to walk with the Lord from. And you say, can, I, can we meet together? Let's go through this book together and just keep me accountable. Teach me how to obey the Lord more in this situation. I've never been in this situation before. Whether it's a, a, a death or an illness or a new phase in, in your life or uh, you know, you're, you're a new empty nester or you're a new parent or you, you know, now you have teens and it's like, I don't know what in the world is happening in my home, right? It, whatever, and everything, everything, we're in between. There, we all find ourselves in those situations where we, we just need help. And that's discipleship ministry. So we have a group of men and women in this church who have made themselves available to disciple others in this church. And we praise God for those men and women. So if you would like to be one of the disciplers, one of the mentors, you could say, in the church, uh, you can come and see me, and I'll give you a doctrinal exam because we've got to protect the flock, right? Make sure that you're not teaching false teaching. You'll go through a doctrinal exam, and then uh, to make sure that you can teach someone the truth, We'll also examine your life and character to make sure that you are giving that person a godly example because that's the other side of discipleship is modeling for them, right? And then we'll, we'll, we'll get you into that ministry. But if you would like to be discipled, if you feel like, man, I just, that sounds like something I need. I, I, need, I just need a little help. Uh, if you would like to be discipled, again, come and see me uh, or you can just write a note fold it up and put it in the offering box in the back there. Say, uh, you know, give me your, your name and your contact and I w- I'm interested in being discipled and we can set you up with somebody. All right, so that's, and the goal is to establish you in the faith. Remember, getting your, your hand in the hand of Christ together so that you can walk, that's, now you're established, now you are fully consumed by Christ. You are fully enveloped by the name of God. And, and, and if you just keep going, you'll be a healthy believer. Right? Struggles and failures, of course. But on, on the main, you, you'll, you'll, you'll be just fine. All right. That's established. The, the last one this morning, the last step is equip. Equip. And that comes from... Uh, verse 20, where it says, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And that word keep is also translated obey. And that's really the, the mindset of obedience, is keeping, right? Uh, you, you keep the law, right? I, you ab- abide by the law. You guard the law of God. And Christ says, uh, you need to equip men and women to live in an ever-increasing obedience to Christ. Now, how is this done? Uh, Briefly, uh, Jesus focused his efforts on the few, in order to reach the multitude. This is his model. So this is not done primarily through the preaching of the word or, or the uh, teaching of the word in our equipping hour. Uh, it, it, especially in the context of discipleship, there is this, uh, there is this intentional equipping and growth And uh, Christ gives us this model. His goal, at the end of his ministry, his goal was to produce 11 men who would live like he lived and who taught like he taught. And these disciples, they lived with him. They watched him. And they sat under the teaching of Christ. Mark 3.14 and Luke 6.12 and 13 tell us that these disciples were just with Jesus all the time. But not only were they around him to see his conduct and his character, they were also with him to sit under his teaching. Matthew 5. Um, 
at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. So yes, there's a ministry to the multitude, but then there's an intentionality of those 12, of his disciples, those, those ones that not only does he teach, but then he has time with them. That's intentional. I'm going to focus in on your growth. This is how we raise up leaders in the church. This is the method. To focus on the few in order to minister to the multitude. Again, Jesus focused on the 12 disciples to produce 12, well, except for the one that uh, Judas who betrayed him. Men who would live, act, evangelize, baptize, and teach just like him. But don't, don't miss this. Jesus also produced 11 more disciple makers, right? Because what did he say? Go and make disciples. Do what I've been doing. So we see the the method of Christ. There's great wisdom, but it's not the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is get as many followers as you can. Get your church as big as you can. Just attract them. Get them all in. Get the hordes of people in. Whatever method that you need to, you know, have flashy lights and and this and that. And, uh, you know, make the sermon 20 minutes long. And, uh, you know, you'll get the crowds in. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going for quality. Not so much for quantity right now. And the thing is, is if you go for quantity now, then you'll never find much quality later. But if you go for quality now, quality believers, strong, healthy Christians, if you go for quality now, then the quantity will take care of itself. That's the method of Christ. Because remember, he says, okay, I've trained you up. Now you, 12, go reach the world. Right? And it was just generation by generation by generation that the gospel spread. And slowly but surely, the gospel of Christ has reached the world. This is Christian growth, where you not only become established and you, you know, you're walking with the Lord and that's, things are going well. The goal, Christian, is that you get equipped. That's the next step in the process. That you learn more. That you practice. You put that into practice more. You do more. You're equipped for ministry. You're equipped for life and godliness and the kingdom. The, the, the trajectory is this trajectory of growth. And this is model for us in 2 Timothy 2, 2, where it says, the things that you have learned and heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There is this entrusting this ongoing generational uh, entrusting of truth and he's not and Paul tells Timothy I, I focus in on you I trained you up well and thoroughly to be a leader in the church now it's your turn to turn around and train up people in the church and to raise them up right so that way the tide the whole tide rises of the church We are to teach all that Christ commands. This is how it's done. Teach all that Christ commands, both publicly and from house to house. That's what, that's what Christ did. And, and uh, this is what he commands us to do. We're, we are commanded to teach believers that they must obey Christ. Remember, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. It's not just teaching them doctrine. It's not just teaching them that Jesus has commands for them, but also teaching them how to obey those commands. Teach them to keep all that I commanded. 
So, we are to teach our disciples uh, to do what Jesus said and how to do what Jesus said. And this is done through systematic and biblical teaching. And really, there's no shortcut to this. There's no shortcut. There's no microwave version of discipleship, of spiritual growth. If you want to grow, Christian, you must study, you must be taught, and you must learn. There's no, you know, back alley uh, shortcut to this process. You want to grow, you have to do the hard work of study, being taught, and learning. Speaking of how to grow as a Christian, uh, Richard Baxter says, Remember that as it is Christ's work to teach, it is yours to hear and read and study and pray and practice what you hear. Do you part then if you expect the benefit? Excuse me. Do your part if you expect the benefit. Speaking of how to grow, you want growth? He says, that's a great thing to, to want, but you got to do your part, he says. Uh, he says, you do, uh, excuse me, you come not to the school of Christ to be idle. Knowledge does not simply drop into the sleepy dreamer's mouth. Right? Now, that's a great picture. You know, you, you sit under the teaching of God, but you're, you're, you're just gone, right? And your mouth is open as, you, as your, your mind is just somewhere else. And you just expect God to just drop wisdom out of the heavens? That's not how it works. You've got to be engaged in the preaching of, of the Word of God. He says, uh, knowledge does not drop into, sleep, into the sleepy dreamer's mouth Rather, dig for it as for silver and search for it in the scriptures as for hidden treasure. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a gym, right? A gym. If, 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 you, you'll never get stronger if you go to the gym and you just keep on lifting 10 pounds, right? I mean, you'll get lean and there'll be some benefit, but you won't. You won't be able to, to be stronger and lift more if all you do is just lift 10 pounds all day, right? What do you have to do? You have to add more weights. It has to hurt, right? For those of you who have done that, it hurts. There's pain involved in weightlifting. You have to push yourself beyond what you think you can do to uncomfortable heavier weights. And that's how it is spiritually. You're not going to grow if you just warm a seat every Sunday. You got to read the Bible when you're at home. You got to read through it systematically from cover to cover. You got to pray. You got to take notes. You got to read a commentary about what you're reading. Uh, you have to get into discipleship and be challenged in how you're applying the truths of Christ. And we, we have a specific ministry in this church as well to help push. That's called equipping hour, right? That's why we call it equipping hour because it's this last step. Equipping hour is Sunday school. Everyone's invited. It's not an elite club, right? But our equipping hour on, at 9 o'clock, yes, 9 o'clock a.m., on a Sunday morning, uh, our equipping hour is, is really just a setting that is provided for you, Christian, right for every single believer, and even unbelievers. I mean, we're not checking, you know, your, your salvation card at the door. It's provided for all where, where you, Christian, can push yourself to learn doctrine and to learn life skills in a deeper way. That's the purpose. It's an avenue for you to push. It, it's, it's the gym of your soul and your, and your mind. We're right now going through a series on worship. 
How do you get better at worship? How do you get better at what you do during the Sunday service? Well, if you want to know, you come to equipping hour and you learn. And then that way you're stronger in worship, you see? Uh, And we have uh, six other uh, topics that we're going to be looking at in equipping hour this year. But uh, our equipping hour is like that gym. It's a more difficult time because it's early. And it's more of a classroom environment, right? So it's a little tougher. You got you to strive. You got you to you know, exercise the old brain and, and, and apply it and, and actually learn and study. But if you commit to it, if you commit to something like a quipping hour, then you will be equipped for life and godliness. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, if you go to a quipping hour, you will be more equipped for your life and for godliness. If you don't, then you won't be. There's just no way around it. We don't have that just to fill time. And then beyond that, beyond that, how do we train up leaders? Well, we have a leadership training and discipleship class in this church that we just started last year. It's a two-year course where men are trained in uh, studying and interpreting the Word of God, trained in the systematic theologies, and trained in their character and godliness. And it's rigorous, right, guys? Uh, it's, It's an avenue where select men are chosen to essentially take it up a notch or two, right? It's to just... It's to, it's to equip you to, we'll see, maybe the Lord makes you a leader of, of something or of the church one day. We don't know, but i got to do my job and, and get you ready for whatever the Lord might have you in the future. It's rigorous study. It's intense examination of character. And the goal is to train and equip believers to lead ministries and even potentially lead the church. We have that as a two-year course uh, for this church, pray for the men uh, in that course. We have seven men in our class right now. They just began the second year, the second half of this course, uh, and uh, they've all told me that I'm not being kind to them in the homework that I'm assigning. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a bit of work, but uh, hey, it comes at a cost. So pray for these men that God would use that class for their good and for the, the, the overall good of the church to train up men to, to strengthen our church. And by the way, next year, uh, once we're done with the men's course, we're going to have a one-year course for some women. And uh, some of the goals will be the same. It's not going to teach them how to preach, but uh, uh, we will train women in the truth of the Word of God and the, their ability to uh, read and study the scriptures because women teach the word of God all the time, uh, whether it's to children or to each other or uh, to their own children. Amen. So uh, be looking forward to that. So, th- so th- w- w- I say that is uh, I say that to, to say you see this th- this this course that we have on, on on the slides here. We have a path, right? Remember, beginning, we have to have a path. If we're going to succeed, we have to have a path. And God has given us a path. Right? There, there is a path for every single person in this room. And you just got to figure out where you are on that path. Uh, from being unsaved, to being evangelized, to becoming a baby Christian, to, be, to being established in, the, in, their, in your walk, to being an, an, an ever-growing Christian, to a mature Christian, to be equipped for ministry, and then even to be leading a ministry, and then even to be leading the church as a deacon or elder. There's a path from somebody to get saved to becoming an elder, barring they're a man, Right? There's a path for every step along the way in this church, and we praise God for that. So maybe just a few questions as I close. Ask yourself, where are you in that process? Are you unsaved? 
Is somebody evangelizing to you? Are you a baby Christian? Are you established? Are you growing? Are you a mature Christian who can invest in others? Are you equipped for ministry, leading a ministry? Where are you along that process? And then ask yourself this. What do you need to do in order to move on to the next phase of that process? For many of us, it's just attend equipping hour or uh, get involved in fellowship or, or serve or uh, uh, get trained in, in, in the word of God, get into discipleship. What are you doing? What do you need to do to move on? Are you doing anything to progress? And then ask yourself, how can I help others move along in that process, right? Because we're a church, and this is what we're all supposed to be doing. So how am I helping somebody along in that process? Maybe, you know, maybe I'm a baby Christian, or I'm just kind of getting established in my walk. Well, you can minister to the unsaved and get them along in that process, share the gospel, get them saved, and, and, and beginning to grow in Christ. Maybe you're a more mature believer. And there are plenty of other believers that just need help. And you can help them along in their growth. Now, as we close, Jesus gives one last promise. He says, Lo, I am with you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But if you notice in verse 17, who he says that to. They worshipped him, it says, but some doubted. What's stunning about this? Even those who doubted, he says, I want to grow you, I want to use you, and I'm never going to leave you. No matter where you are in that process, if you're truly a Christian, but, uh, uh, but you're struggling, Jesus promises, I will not leave you. This promise is even for those who struggle. For those who have reservations. For those who are maybe hesitating in their commitment. Or wavering in their growth. Christian, even for you, this promise stands. I will never leave you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to desert you. I'm going to be with you every step along the way. And you're going to grow whether you like it or not. Right? You're going to grow whether you like it or not. I, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to get so frustrated with you with all of your doubts and your reservations and your hesitancy. I'm not going to hold back my blessing from you. I'm not going to hold back growth from you. I'm going to never give up on you and I will keep and even sometimes forcefully but yet always patiently I'm going to be moving you along in that process for your good and for my glory, he says. And praise the Lord. Let's stand as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience with us. Oh Lord, uh, none of us are really where we should be. None of us are, where, are to a point where we have no more growing left to do. Lord, forgive us for our comfort, our, our lethargy, our, our just ease with the Christian life. Forgive us for just coasting and putting it on cruise control. Lord, that doesn't honor you. Forgive us for that. And I pray that you would spur us, Lord, to growth. Use the ministries of this church to grow your people. We don't want to just learn more stuff. We, we want to, to know you more. We want to live for you more. We want to bring you more glory. That's what it's all about. So use us, Lord, to reach the lost. Use us in this local church to, to help believers be strong in their faith 
and, and, be, and continue to grow and establish leaders in this church. Oh, Lord, may, may this church be a lighthouse, a beacon for the truth of God. May people come to this place and, and say, what is your secret? And we just point to your word. It's all Christ. We're just doing what he told us. And that way, Lord, you're going to get all the glory. Not us with our methods, but you and you alone. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.